grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17. Uh, we are in a series in the Gospel of John, and we've been inching along since February, and uh, we will be in the middle part of John chapter 17. We're actually spending three weeks in John chapter 17 doing a uh, kind of a, a mini-series on Jesus' prayer. And we're looking at three themes. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5. Jesus prays for himself, and we looked at the theme of, of glory. Look what Jesus says in, in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may, be, may glorify you. And then in verse 5 he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And so Jesus, um, in, in this epic prayer, is asking God to glorify him so that he can in turn glorify God. Next week, we'll finish John chapter 17. We'll look at the latter half of the of the passage, verses 20 through 26, at the, uh, uh, the, the theme of unity as Jesus prays for uh, the disciples that will come to faith after this, the, the disciples that lived and, and breathed with him. And this week, we're looking at uh, verses 6 through 19 in uh, the theme of mission, Jesus praying for his disciples. And so we're going to read together verse 6 through 19. I invite you to Turn in your Bibles. If you don't have one down the middle aisle is a, uh, are some Bibles underneath the, the seats there. You're welcome to use those. And I think uh, John 17 will be around page 587. All right. You ready to read together? Ready or not? All right. Here we go. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and you have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gathering of your church. We thank you for this beautiful fall day, for the cool air uh, coming in. And um, Lord, uh, we're thankful for the week of Thanksgiving. We have much to be thankful for. We thank you for um, the, the life and breath that you give us. We thank you that we can call you our God. We thank you for the gathering of your church, that we can come and freely worship in this space and, and really anywhere in our country without persecution. Lord, we thank you for... Uh, uh, a, a God who would go to the cross and die for us. And in this passage, we thank you for that same God that would pray uh, specific words for us that we might have uh, life in him as we live in his world. Uh, so, Lord, open our eyes today. Give us ears to hear what you would have us uh, to see and hear in this passage. And we pray that you change us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to talk about mission today, um, not just mission in general or missions. We're going to talk about the mission of God. And there's something that happens anytime preachers talk about mission. Um, it, I, you can stand the chance of alienating lots of people. Firstly, there's a lot of people that, don't, that have no clue as to, I mean, what you're talking about? Mission, missions. I, I, I don't know what that means. Um, but there are particularly two groups of people that you can alienate. Um, Christians can alienate uh, non-Christians when they talk about um, talk about mission because 
at least with my non-Christian friends, they don't mind being around Christians, but most non-Christians think that all Christians have an agenda. They think that we're trying to shove our beliefs down their throat and we won't stop talking about them. And so we stand the chance of alienating non-believers uh, when we talk about mission. But the truth is uh, we could also alienate Christians themselves. Preachers can alienate Christians when we talk about missions because missions are, are really far from what we do in our day-to-day life. If you think about um, how you perhaps might live, many of us live disconnected from day-to-day uh, in uh, a sense that we are on mission with God. Many of us grow up with missions being a department of the church. It's, it's that, that department that focuses on organizing missions trips and we fundraise or we collect money. We go to a, a foreign land, typically a third world country, and we, we put on skits. We, you know, we do those things that might bring some to faith. And so missions for some is a department of the church. It's, uh, it's going to a foreign country. Uh, we give money to mission, right? So that someone else, a professional, a missionary can go and, and go to those foreign lands and do that. But as we look carefully at John 17, um, this is an epic moment. Um, the night before Jesus uh, will be crucified that very next day. And so because of the, the situation in Jesus' life, we know that whatever he's praying has to be very important. And the thing that we see that he's praying about, at least in this uh, middle portion of his prayer here, is his mission. Think of all that's pressing on Jesus at this moment. The, the life that he lived, fulfilling the Father's plan for himself, making sure that the, the disciples that are with him are, are still with him and that they'll be able to carry on the mission. And of course, the, the thing that's probably most pressing on him is, is being arrested and, and being tried and, and then eventually going to the cross uh, and, and dying with the, with the thought of his own father forsaking him as he bears the weight of all of our sin. And what is Jesus praying about? Well, he's he's going to be praying, as we'll see, about mission. And, and mission really is woven throughout most of this prayer. Let's look at a few verses. Verse four. We looked at this last week. Verse four says, I've given I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Uh, as we unpack this last week, the, the focus there is on on work. What is the work that Jesus did? It is his mission that Jesus would live a perfect life, that he would model for us exactly what humanity looks like, do all that the Father would have him do, uh, all that that would entail. And then he would glorify the Father in his death, that he would go to the cross and he would um, actually die by bearing the weight of the sins of the world. Verse 10, we'll look at this and unpack it here in a couple seconds. Verse 10 says, all all mine are yours, all yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And so Jesus is, is emphasizing here his oneness, his unity with the Father. I mean, we're, we're one. Uh, everything you've got is mine. All I've got is yours. But here on the tail end of that, he says, I'm glorified in these people that you've given me. And then verse 18, verse 18 is a it's a verse that you've heard uh, probably uh, in, in Bible study or just in reading the Bible several times. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And so sprinkled throughout this prayer, Jesus intently talks about mission. And so the, the setting of, of the prayer, of course, is, is this is the night before Jesus is about to be crucified. He only has hours left on his life and he's praying about mission. And so the big idea, if you get nothing out of, uh, out of what I, I'll talk about today, um, the big idea is mission is, is not just an aspect of Christianity. It really is at the heart. It's vital to it's a vital part of who God is. It's how he works. It's what he's created us to do, what he's called us to. And my contention is if you want to grow and have a vibrant relationship with God, mission can't be on the periphery of of your life. Um, if you think about it, now why did Jesus call this ragtag group of disciples? I mean, sometimes I ponder that because the Bible shows us the humanity. Um, the, I mean, the raw humanity of these disciples. We see them in in their good days, but we see them mostly making mistakes and, and not trusting Jesus, not having the faith that he's called them to. Um, it, really, in God's plan of redemption, God, the, the, the method by which God would make right all the things that are wrong about our world since Adam and Eve um, fell in the garden. God could have come about. He could have 
he could have brought about redemption in any way that he wanted. Okay, he could have just thought it and he could have made all of us right. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He sends his son from eternity, puts him down on earth and makes him up to be a part of his creation. His son grows up and he calls men to himself, this ragtag group of men. And after he calls them, he saves them, he trains them and he sends them out. I mean, that's that's God's strategy. Strange strategy, but it's his strategy. So as Jesus goes to the cross, this, this is what we should see in this prayer. He, he's not fretting. He's not he's not saying to himself, oh, my God, I'm about to die and I'm about to turn over my mission to this group of people. What's going to happen to my mission? That's not Jesus. He's not taking up that that kind of thought as he's about to go to the cross. This is what Jesus is thinking. As God sent me, I'm sending them. Now, this is this is his plan A. And I would tell you, he doesn't have a plan B. I mean, we're it. As he sent Jesus, so he's sending us. That is God's strategy. The way God moves mission for is for him to call, save, train other people like you and I to be on mission. And if you're a Christian, that's an essential part of your Christian life. So the question we want to answer in our in our text today is, is what is mission? Before Jesus answers that question of what mission is, he actually shows us um, who the mission is for. It basically, he tells us that in, in, the, in the sense of who he's praying for. The mission is for specific people. Verse 6. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the earth, out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And you uh, and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. All right. So a lot of words there. But Jesus is describing the people that he's praying for. OK. And and um, th- these words, uh, what Jesus is describing is what what theologians would call and what the Bible says are an elect people. Jesus is praying for a specific set of people, people that are chosen by God. The, the thing that you see repeated here in, in these few words and these three verses is those whom you gave me. So there's a there's a people that God has given to Jesus and Jesus has stewarded them so that they would they would love and serve and grow and um, glorify God. And he says four things about these people. And he says it in these these couple of verses. And the first thing he says is uh, the people are those whom Jesus manifested the father's name to whom the Jesus manifested the father's name. And so for Jesus to manifest the father's name means that Jesus reveals God's name in a way that his disciples would, would truly know him. God wants us to, to truly know who he is. And one of the ways by which he does that is to to expose us to the, the, the grandiose nature of his name. Think about all the names of God in the in the Old Testament. Genesis one, verse one. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the God that we're introduced to in the very first verse of the Bible is is uh, uh, Elohim, God, the creator of all. A little bit further on, we're introduced to some other names of God. We're we're introduced to El Shaddai, the 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 God Almighty. Amy Grant made a song famous of that. Actually, she didn't write it. Um, somebody else wrote the song. She just sang it, made it famous. Uh, the God who sees, El Roy. Uh, Abraham called God El Elyon, God Most High, and probably the one of the most uh, uh, used names throughout the Old Testament is. The, the name Yahweh, the covenant name of God. It's, uh, and the, the Israelites, the Jews, thought that name was, was so precious and, uh, and outside of them, they wouldn't even say it. They, they used to just write the letters, Y-W-H-W, something like that, Yahweh. Think about what Jesus has taught us about the name of God in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus uh, makes us look back to Exodus chapter three when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses asked God, who should I tell the people that you are? Who should I tell Pharaoh that you are? And God said, I am. I am that I am. And so Jesus takes that Old Testament reference and he teases it out all throughout uh, John's gospel. 
And so in chapter 6, we learn that Jesus is the bread of life, that we find our nourishment in him. And then in chapter 8, we learn that, that Jesus is the good shepherd. And then we learn that he's uh, the resurrection in the life in, in chapter 11. The seven of those I am statements that, that Jesus unfolds about him. And so what Jesus is doing is he's revealing the knowledge of God to his people. But it's a specific people. Yes, other people can know about God, but, but, but Jesus is saying, I have come to reveal exactly who God is, his manifold nature to those, those specific people whom you've called that you've given to me. Uh, that's, that's the first thing I think that uh, he emphasizes out of this point. The, the second is nothing is more important for us than to know God, to know how he's revealed in Scripture. Knowing God as sovereign, as loving, as holy, as powerful, as just, and as good is is the only way for us to live in faith, hope, and love toward a God and that we would complete his mission. The more we know about God, the more we're going to be willing to be on mission with him and, and for him. That's the first thing. The second thing that Jesus, uh, Jesus says about those who he's praying for is uh, they are those whom God gave out of the world. God gave to Jesus out of the world. Uh, we're going to look at this a little bit, uh, a little bit more, unpack it more in one of the, the later verses. But Jesus is talking about sanctification here. And that's one of those um, $10 Bible words, right? I mean, that's a, that's a word you just can't say and not, not explain. I'm going to explain it later. But this suggests that Christians have been called to live not as the world lives, that we're called to, to live in a different way and by a different power. Thirdly, they are those who have kept God's word. Um, to keep God's word means to lay hold or so, uh, to secure, to, to, to hold it and not let go. Uh, one theologian says, uh, uh, you don't really keep God's word unless you obey it. Think of all the people that we are introduced to in John's gospel that follow Jesus. The multitudes follow him. They're, they're mesmerized at the miracles that he do. But in this, in this, in his last days, hunkered around him as he goes to the cross, is, there's only 11. Now, obviously, they're dependents. Uh, they're, they're, you know, there's, there's other people that are attached to these people. But of the, of the thousands of people that that meandered with Jesus around the countryside of Galilee, um, many of them followed him, but very few kept his word. Very few obeyed him. To obey Jesus means that we are uh, treasuring, treasuring him and treasuring his word. Lastly, the people that Jesus is praying for are those who've received Jesus as the one sent from God. Uh, Jesus says uh, this refrain throughout John's gospel. Uh, if you see me, you've seen God. If you've heard my words, you've heard the very words of God. I think in, when he says uh, that they've received Jesus as the one sent from God, he's going one step further. He, he's basically saying the grace of Jesus is, is the grace of God. The, the power in Jesus is the power of God. The truth in Jesus is God's truth. And the blood that Jesus will shed was offered by God for the cleansing and forgiveness of, of our sins. And so why are these important? These are the, these are the type of people that Jesus is praying for. He's not praying for the world. He's praying for these people. These are the people that he's sending out on mission. These type of people. Now, in, in verse 9, Jesus echoes the same thought. He's continuing this same thought that I'm praying for a specific people. I'm calling a, a specific people out on mission. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. We could spend, uh, obviously, a sermon just talking about that verse. There's a lot of there's a lot of confusion about this verse. There's several people in some camps of Christianity uh, that don't like this verse at all because it suggests that there's some people that God has a special affinity toward, and there's some people that he doesn't. And so when, when Jesus says that he's praying for some and not praying for the world, he's not talking about the earth, he's talking about the world system. Uh, and, and the world system is nothing other than um, all those things about our world that, aren't, that don't subject themselves to God. And that would be people, it would be, um, it would be spiritual things, it would be principalities that we can both see and, but mostly we cannot see. And so what this verse is suggesting is that Jesus offers salvation for the entire world, but he intercedes to God only for those who belong to him. Jesus is praying for only those who the Father has given him. And theologically, uh, the, 
Theologians uh, define this as particular or definite redemption. That is, Jesus died to atone for the particular sins of his actual people. Now, that's a polarizing statement because it means that he's not he has not died and atoned for a certain set uh, or segment of people on the earth. But if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, these words are not aren't meant to scare you. They're meant to be words of comfort that you have a God who's not just praying for for those people out there. He's praying for you. I mean, this, you can make this personal. Jesus died for me. His blood was spilt for me. He is atoned for for my sins. And that's really how you should receive this. Uh, it's in, it's in uh, verse 10 that Jesus actually says what the mission is. What, what is the mission um, for the people that he's praying for? Verse 10. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them again. So Jesus is is announcing a unity between him and the Father. The, uh, theory, I mean, all all of us belong to God, right? God's the Creator, God. Everything on earth belongs to Him. He gives it to Jesus. Jesus has all authority because God gives it to Him, and so it all the people that are God's belong to Jesus. And Jesus is just saying that. And then He says, "I'm glorified in them." What he simply means is when when the people that you've given me are 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 doing the things that I've mentioned before, they're, they're they know your name. They, they truly know you uh, that they've received. Uh, they've received me and know that I'm taking them out of the world, that I, they, they've kept your word and they, they've received me as the one sent from God. He's saying when they do that, they're going to glorify me and when they glorify me. I in turn will glorify you. Here we have to ask what the mission of God is. What is the mission of God? Very simply, the mission of God is to glorify God. That's what verse 10 tells us. The mission of God is to glorify God. Those of you that know your Bible will, will probably argue with me. Somebody will pull me aside a little, little bit later and say, you know what? What about that verse in Matthew? Matthew 28, that Jesus, he's about to, he's about to go up to heaven. and He says, uh, all authority has been given to him to, uh, uh, so we should go in his name and baptize uh, all those in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm with you always. And, and I would tell you, yes, that's the mission of God as well. But I think what we what we learn in John chapter 17 is we get a bigger understanding of the mission because Jesus is, I mean, he's talking about disciples here. All, all the fathers are mine and all that are mine are the fathers and I'm glorified in them. He's talking about disciples like me and you following, following hard after Jesus. And so in a sense, the, 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 the grand mission of God is that we would glorify him, because if we're glorifying him, we're going to follow him. If we're following him, we're going to serve him. And if we're serving him, we're going to be his disciples. We discussed glory last week, and so I won't spend a lot of time here, but it's, I think it's uh, worth our time to review just a minute, a little bit. What does it mean to glorify God? The, the, the word glory suggests weight. Okay, the word simply means weight, something that's of value. Glory suggests something that's weighty as opposed to trivial, substantial as opposed to insignificant, permanent as opposed to temporary. Uh, I, I gave this analogy last week. It's, it's, it's like standing before a mountain range or, or an ocean and, and being awed by the wonder of, of what you see because you, you see something that couldn't have been created by the hands of man. You, you absolutely see it and, and know that something other than anything on the earth had to have made it. It wasn't made by a natural cause. Something um, greater, uh, grandiose, bigger than life had to have made that come about. That's what we think about when we see a mountain range. Uh, I would suggest that we're hardwired for glory and we're desperately searching for it. You know, think about all the things that, I mean, th- that you consume in life. Most of the things that, that take up our time, um, they're going to rot, wear out, or, or somehow fail us, right? I mean, you, do you have anything in your life void of God that, that's going to last through an eternity? I think of the, about the things that I obsess over. I mean, the, the, the things that consumes the, the average mind, taking care of your home, making money that, to be able to, to afford that home, uh, sports, I mean, there's some trivial things that, that take up our time. And, and if you're in D.C., uh, the materialism of, uh, of, of having a title and, and the stuff, the stuff that you have, that you, that you get to play with. But ask ourselves, what of these things 
will last. And I think that's where the glory of God comes in. I mean, only God is permanent. Only God is is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. And only as we're connected to him and living life in him will we find deep meaning, uh, purpose and and the significance that we're that we're all looking for in life. And so last week, as we looked at verse one through five, Jesus said his mission was to glorify the father. And and the way Jesus did that was was fully um, doing all that God had called him to do. Jesus reveals who God is by simply obeying um, what God told him to do. And when Jesus does that, he displays to the world um, the, the glory of the Father. And this is what this text tells us later on. It says that as Jesus was sent to glorify God, that we will be sent to glorify Jesus as well. He calls his disciples to glorify him. The, the, the calling on a Christian is one who gives their lives to the weight and importance and beauty of who Jesus is, what he's done and what he's going to do. Now, I say all this because a lot of times we reduce we reduce this idea of mission to to, to doing evangelism and, and discipleship. And I, before you call me a heretic, um, let me let me keep keep going. Ultimately, what the mission of God entails is is us testifying to who alone is glorious. The Bible teaches God alone is glorious. The psalmist says not to not to, to me, O Lord, but to you. Um, do, do we bring glory? And so to taste any other glory or experience anything on earth, um, it's only a dim reflection of the glory of God. It's the creation reflecting its creator. And so here's what I think the mission of God is. The mission of God is not just to go tell people about Jesus. It's to invite people into life with Jesus. There's a nuance there, but I think there's a higher call on our life, not to just that's just evangelize and tell people as a God that loves them, but to show them the glory of God. Because if they're exposed to the glory of God, they're, they're going to serve the God that you love and that you serve. So we want people to experience a glory like no other, a glory that can be found nowhere else but God. And so how do we, how do we glorify Jesus? Uh, I think the text tells us uh, the aim, this is the aim of Jesus' prayer. Look at verse 11. And I and I uh, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as as we are one. And so as Jesus unpacks this, his prayer, he's praying to the father and he says uh, I mean, several things. But the refrain that he's he keeps saying is that they would assume his mission in the world, uh, emphasis on in the world. He says that we would remain in his name. He's already said that Jesus wants us to be so connected to God that we know his name, which means that we truly have knowledge of who he is. And, and lastly, that we would be unified in our mission, that as that as God and, and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one, that we would be one as well. Let me offer this isn't in the text, but let me offer this. We also glorify God with our words. Uh, many of you have heard the, the famous quote by uh, the monk, uh, the Italian monk Francis of Assisi, that says um, we should speak the gospel at all times or preach the gospel at all times and occasionally use words. I would say that's that's an incomplete statement. Why? Because the very word gospel means it means herald that we're that we're being heralds of good news. We're 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 supposed to speak about the goodness of God and what he's done. And so if we're truly doing what God has called us to do as as his heralds, then we're going to proclaim. We're, we are people who are supposed to, to proclaim uh, in January. I went to the physical therapist because I was doing something stupid. I was actually doing it here. Um, we were, we were unloading the, the trailer as we always do at about eight and, uh, um, a tough box had fallen over and it was this heavy, it was, it's hidden behind the curtain. There's one tough box. It's like a mega tough box. It's heavy. It's got some stuff in it. And so it had fallen over and I was trying to do the right thing. I was trying to pick it up. Um, and my back didn't, it didn't pop, but I mean, I was, I couldn't even stand up. It was bad. I was preaching at some, I was preaching at uh, uh, my buddy's church in Reston that morning. I think John, John Scott was preaching here, but it, it was real bad. I had to go home. I took eight Advil just so I could stand up and I struggled through preaching that morning. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm a little hard-headed. I don't like to go to the doctor, uh, but I'm struggling. Like on, on, on a scale of one to ten, my pain level was like nine. I was hurting. I couldn't lay. I couldn't sit. I couldn't stand. I couldn't do anything but my back hurting. And my wife's like, you're stupid. You, you need <laughs> That's the way she talks to me. So uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, uh, I mean, she was, she was saying that because I just I should have gone to the doctor. Right. Well, it took me uh, three weeks to go to the doctor uh, and the pain had it didn't ease up at all. And so I went to the doctor uh, and eventually they they took me to a, a physical therapist. Uh, they, they sent me to a physical therapist. Um, and it's, it's some of the it's the physical therapist that some of you actually go to. Um, it's the Jackson Clinic over in, uh, by the mall in Springfield. Uh, after I went to the physical, I went two months to physical therapy, and I will tell you, it was like life to me. I mean, they twisted me and turned me and told me my shoes were jacked up, so I had to get some new tennis shoes and all that stuff. Uh, but honestly, a- after going to physical therapy for for two months. I was like a heralder. I, I was preaching the gospel about physical therapy. You got anything wrong with your back? Go to physical. Th- go, in fact, go to the Jackson Clinic. But don't we do that? We don't just do that about we do that about the things in our life that that um, an experience that we've had that we want to share. We do it with the books we read. We do it with the mo- movies that we go to. We do it with uh, the drinks we drink. I mean, we do that as as people as we are we're sharing our experiences. And what are we what are we doing when we say that we want? I, I've had such a good experience with this. I want you to be able to experience it too. I mean, you should go try this out. Christians are called to do that same thing. We're, we're called to go forth and glorify Jesus with our words. We testify to what God has done on the cross, but we also tell of what God has done. In our lives, we tell of how he's brought meaning and hope for eternity, of of how he's healed an ailment, of how he's fixed a problem that we've had, of how he's taken just the sin in us. And and he didn't completely drive it out, but he's given me hope that 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 with his help, I can live, love and serve and glorify him. And so we we're called to proclaim that's that's part of our mission. But we're also called to, to display. And that's what we see in the rest of this passage. We, we, we display to the world what life with God looks like. It's, it's a life that's been radically changed by the grace of God. We live a life that's completely different than the rest of the world. And that's why that's what Jesus addresses uh, in the in the verses that follow. We're going to look at a few of these. Uh, and, and let me let me just. This is a warning. This is some tough stuff that Jesus is praying for us. And I would tell you, even as he's praying about mission, the very things that he's praying for us are the the parts that are hard for us. Jesus is he's praying for us because part of our mission, it gets hard. And and here's here's how it gets hard. For example, in verse 14, he says that disciples aren't supposed to be out of the world. And then verse 15, he turns around and says disciples aren't supposed to be uh, out of the world. I said that wrong. They aren't supposed to be of the world. They aren't supposed to be out of the world. Verse 15 and then in verse 18, as a part of our mission, he says, Father, you sent me in the world. I've sent them. And so there's a tension um, in, in if we're going to be effective in God's mission, we kind of have to embrace this tension that that he that he's put in the mission. So let's look at verse 14. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is essentially saying uh, there's no way people will believe the kingdom has come if Christians behave and live just like the rest of the, just the rest of the world does. Y'all, y'all understand that the way I said it? it? He's saying that if we act just like everybody else out in the world, that people aren't they're They're not going to see us proclaiming and, and testifying. I mean, I don't even know who God is. If Christians are are special people called of God to, to to love, serve him, then then we're supposed to look a little different. And so if um, if you love money and stuff the way everybody else in, in D.C. does, um, then your claims about God being enough are, are going to going to sound hollow on those that that you're trying to, to to talk about God with. If your heart is absolutely broken, I mean, it's football. It's football Sunday. Your favorite team is going to be playing today. If your if your favorite team loses and you are like like crying and bawling just because your favorite team has has not won, then I would tell you uh, you sound hollow. 
to, to those people who are, are doing that because they don't know any better. Uh, you look just like the world. If you're just as independent and self-absorbed with, with how you live your life, if you're just as prejudiced or hostile against people who don't share your views or politics, you'll look just like the world. I think Facebook is, is one of the greatest things, but it's one of our worst, uh, Christians' worst, worst enemy. Especially with, uh, with all the stuff going on this week with the attacks in, in Paris, um, and the question of, of refugees from Syria and uh, the closely tied uh, topic of immigration, you just see some ugliness of Christians coming out uh, in this medium, this social medium of Facebook. And of course, uh, God has made all of us different and he doesn't want us to be homogenous. But there are certain things about Christians in terms of our witness, not for ourselves, but for God, uh, it, that if you're truly representing God, then you, you can't always do what you want to do and say what you want to say. And that may sound legalistic, but I think that's just that's what he's saying here. He's saying we can't live. I mean, my disciples don't that they must not be of the world. But there's more tension in verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And so a couple times here. Uh, verse 12 and, and this particular verse, Jesus is saying he's praying protection over us. But the focus here is is Jesus doesn't want his disciples to retreat. He doesn't want us to go into our homes, close the window and we have a holy Christian huddle. He doesn't want us to break out the guitar and, and sing our our Christian songs. That's not what he intends for us. We're not supposed to to retreat from the world. We're not supposed to detach ourselves and become isolated from the rest of the world. And I think the, the truth of at least the evangelical church is that sometimes we do the exact opposite of what Jesus is praying right here. We just want to escape the world. God, come rapture me. Take me out. And that's really not what God intends for us. Why? Because we're on mission. He, his mission involves and includes us. And so... This is what I think this is true. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but Jesus does. Christianity doesn't look like this, that you go to church on, on Sunday morning and, and, and night service Sunday night, that you do uh, Bible study on Monday, that you got community group on Tuesday. That you got a prayer meeting on Wednesday, that you got a special worship night with your friends on, on Thursday, that you're doing something else spiritual on Friday. And then you're taking a Sabbath on on Saturday and repeating that. That's not being on that. God is not intending that for you, although it's nothing wrong with being immersed in a lot of spiritual activity. God's will for us is not that we only frequent Christian businesses. I'm all for Christian businesses. Absolutely all for them. You should support them. But his will for you is not that you should um, go to the Christian gym, only eat chicken, uh, Christian chicken at, at Chick-fil-A. Um, only only buy your uh, your craft stuff from Hobby Lobby and then come home and watch TBN all night. That's 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 not what God wants for you. I, and I can I don't have chapter and verse on that. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's verse 15. John 17, verse 15. That's not his will for us. And this is, this is a word for us. That, and that's why I love living in the urban suburban environment of D.C., because it reminds me I can't even turn left without somebody bumping into me. Isn't that right? I mean, the closer you get into the city, the, the, the more dense it is. D.C. is the most dense population region in the whole country. OK, there's just more people here that live, uh, you know, in, in, in the space that we have than anywhere in the country. Uh, we moved uh, across the street. And I got a backyard now. I love it. Got a backyard. I get to mow it and every stuff. But, you know, I only got like 10, you know, I got like five feet of backyard. So it's not like I got a lot. And uh, my favorite room in the house is our is our deck. And it's enclosed. It's really neat. And uh, when it was warmer, I would go out there and have devotions and, and pray and, and pray. And I do uh, I study a little bit. And uh, but even on my backyard, I only got 10 feet of it. It's so close to my neighbor that I can't even go out there and have devotions with, without my neighbor seeing him. It's like, hey, Jeff. Hey, hey Russ. How you, how you doing? And, and I love that because my tendency, our tendency is that even though, even though we have this forced closeness in, in the D.C. metro area, we, I mean, we, you can't go anywhere without being near somebody. This is what we'll do. We'll, I mean, we'll figure out a way, put that wall up, close ourselves off. It's like, I don't see you. You're not here. Right. I mean, don't we do that? Sometimes we do. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm sorry. 
And so if, if we're not careful, we'll fall right into that trap and, and, and do the thing that Jesus says that we should not do. We'll remove any semblance of closeness that we've got with, uh, with the world. God wants us to talk, be engaged with, to know, and be moving amongst the world. I think that's what verse 15 is saying. And, and, and here's, the, here's the rebuke. If you're not actively going into the world, you're disobeying Jesus. That's the tension, and he wants us to live in that tension. We're in the world, we're not of it. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Um, you've heard this verse a lot, and you've heard it articulated like this, that a Christian is supposed to be in the world, not of it. Uh, and that's not an incorrect way to, to, to phrase this verse. But, but what I want you to do is actually look at the verse. There's an, there's an emphasis that Jesus gives us, and, and we're, one word sticks out to me. And the emphasis is the word into. That's a preposition. Y'all know your grammar. Um, and this is a directional preposition, to be specific. Um, it's not static. It's not like I'm in the world as if I'm just hanging out here until Jesus comes and, and beams me up to heaven. It's like I, I have movement into the world. He sent me into he, he sent Jesus into the world and he sends us into the world here. That, and the the the. The thought here is we're sent for a purpose. Jesus says, as you've sent me, I send them. Uh, and what he's, what he's getting at here is we're to follow his example. First John 2, 6 says this. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus here is talking about a way of life. If we're to walk like Jesus walked, we're to live as he lived. And, and so just think about how Jesus lived. Jesus didn't isolate himself. We don't know everything about his life, but but of the recorded days of his of his life, he was always with somebody. And it wasn't typically um, his peer group. I don't think he had a peer group. It wasn't those who were rich and affluent. It was always those who who needed a friend. Jesus was all he was always crossing a barrier into into uh, people groups that um, that weren't quite like him. And, and if we're honest, he was always associating with, with those who were ho- who were hurt and who were broken and, and needed um, the, the love of uh, of a savior. Jesus didn't come to lecture. He came to he actually didn't even come to just do spiritual things. I think we see that in the way Jesus hung out with kids. And I mean, Jesus went to parties. And I think the license here is that we can do that, too. Now, but there's tension in that. And here's the tension. We need to be deeply engaged with people in the world. But at the same time, we need to keep our our affections. We need to keep our uh, affections unentangled with the things of the world. And and by affections, I simply mean I mean, the stuff that you love, the stuff that you would be inclined to do. The the things that are important that you spend time on. So just like Jesus is amongst the crowds. But his deepest affection and his, and his love is for the Father. He's calling us to, to have that same kind of uh, waywardness about ourselves, not waywardness, to, to, to live that way. Jesus calls us not to retreat from the world, but also not to fully step into the world. I mean, I mean, do you all feel that tension? I mean, do you, do you not just in the text, but do you feel that tension in your Christian life that Jesus has called you to be in the world? He's, he's not trying to pull you out. But he also doesn't want you to be so immersed in the world that you look like the world. That's the tension. And I would I, I mean, if we're honest, I mean, that's hard because there's two directions that we tend to go. I mean, some of us that 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 want to, you know, we know Jesus wants us in the world and, and we become so much like the world that we become worldly and, and we get into sin. And then there's some of us who um, who knows I'm supposed to be kind of in the world, but uh, but we're a little shy about it. That we'll just, I mean, we'll end up just backing completely away and retreating into into isolation. And I think that's why Jesus prays for us. Um, and, and no, here's here's the, the cool thing that Jesus does. Right in the midst of praying for mission, he prays for our sanctification. And I think that's the key to, to doing, to living in the tension. Verse 17. I know I'm all over the place in this. Hopefully you're following. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I'm going to keep reading through verse 19. As you've sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself 
that they also may be sanctified. And so Jesus ends this, this, this prayer, this section of his prayer, with what I call a sanctification sandwich. And so he's got sanctification. Uh, I've called him to sanctification in verse 17. I've called him to sanctification in verse 19. And then he, he does a little teaching in verse, verse 18, teaching about mission. And I think, um, I mean, this makes sense. Jesus is calling us to be in the world, not of it. But the only way that we can do that rightly is if if we have a little bit of sanctification about us. OK, that's 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 that ten dollar word. Sanctification simply means to be holy. That scares us, doesn't it? Sanctif- I mean, I mean, who uses that in a sentence? Probably Eric McCutcheon. Um, the word, the common way we describe it is is to be set apart. Holy set. Holy. The word holy scares us because we think of God who's perfect and holy and. And we know we can't be like that, but he's called us to be. And uh, but we also don't want to just define sanctification as being set apart, because some of us, if you say that we're supposed to be set apart and we'll go crawl into our closet and won't let nobody in. Right. And Jesus has not called us to either one of those two extremes. But I think if we combine the two of them, it makes sense. To be holy means to be set apart. For a purpose. I mean, what's what's the purpose of being set apart? Principally, we're set apart for the uh, to God himself. That's why God sets us apart. God wants us all to himself so that we are are living to the praise of his glory and, and his alone. Here's the other reason. God has set us apart for the purpose of stepping into the world and testifying with our words and with our lives about his glory, his goodness and his kingdom. Jesus wants you to be holy. Why? Well, first of all, because he says it in the Bible. But there's a there's a sense that we're holy also for the sake of the world. Um, recall in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter five, the, the Beatitudes actually is three, uh, three whole chapters of that. Matthew five through parts of Matthew seven. Um, there's this one of my favorite uh, paragraphs, pericope of, of scripture. It's when Jesus is is calling us salt and light. Okay, he said we're supposed to be the salt of the world. We're supposed to be the light, salt of the earth, the light of the world. Have you ever thought about what your life would be like if you had no salt and and if if you did not have light? Think about that. Your your food would would be dull. It would taste kind of nasty. I mean, it's a whole bunch of stuff that salt does, but particularly it would be tasteless and the world would be dark. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I need Christians and their testimony. I need their proclamation. I need their way of life in the world on mission so that the world would just be right. It would be like it's supposed to be. And so the way that um, the way that we know our holiness is true gospel transform holiness is not by how religious we are or how self-righteous we are. It's that we are we're being we're in the world into the world, as Jesus says. And I think the holiest of people aren't those who necessarily have their lives jam packed with with Christian activity. I think it's those people who who are able to stay deeply engaged with the world and yet have their affections unentangled by the world. And there's there's a fine line to do that. And so I'm about to close here. Here's the thing. Um, Anytime we talk about mission, um, we have to acknowledge this, this is tough. I mean, this is tough. It's meant to be tough. We're all on the journey together. And I think there's there's, kind of, there's, there's two kind of reactions. There's one set of people that, that, yeah, I'm not on mission. I don't intend to be on mission and I don't want to be. But then you have another set that, I mean, you're living for God. You know what God has told you to do and you intend to do it. But you realize how hard it is. And sometimes you just fail. And, and, and so, you know, this is how we do when we fail God. We, we feel shame. We feel embarrassed. We feel guilt. And so. Here's the encouragement from Scripture. All right. It is hard. Why is Jesus praying, praying these things for us about mission? Because he knows that their heart It's a tension that only a perfect man, the God man could live in and and do it well. The rest of us are on the journey. And so um, here's the it's the word of the Lord to you. There's no judgment from God. And even if you're not even close to being on mission of doing these kinds of things, being into the world, not of the world. But 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 here's the other thing. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to get into mission. He wants you to start somewhere. But but I would also say he wants you to have joy in the mission. This is the last verse. Verse 13. We'll conclude with here. 
But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I like verse 13, uh, and I'm ending here because I call this like, I call it Jesus' joy. Jesus says, um, I, I'm coming, he's telling the Father, I'm coming to you, and, and I'm speaking all these things in the world that my people who I'm who I'm sending into the world might have my joy fulfilled in them. Jesus is wanting to give us his joy. It's not just a little joy. It's Jesus joy. And that's I mean, that's that's joy that um, is probably joy unspeakable and full of full of glory. Right. That's a full measure of joy. And so God doesn't condemn us in our failures and mission, but he does invite us. He invites us into the mission so that we might experience the fullness of joy. And I would I would encourage you, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing God use you as you're on mission in the world, into the world, not of the world, helping other people find Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words. God, thank you for your prayer. Uh, Lord, we are, um, we're privileged to be a people that that you are a specific people that not you you not only called us lord uh, you've prayed for us you've prayed for us in the mission that you've set us about to do and what a great god what a good god that you are that you wouldn't just pat us on the back and say go hey go go do it but you you tell us what it is and you pray specifically for us you equip us for the task and so lord uh, I, I pray for the mission the mission of glorifying you to a world that that tries to glorify itself. I, I pray uh, for our mission of proclaiming you in a world whose ears are partially deaf to, to anything but proclaiming itself. I, I, I pray for our mission of being in the world, of, 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 of being of going into it without becoming unentangled by it, that you would help us that you would help us to walk that narrow line of being salt and light in the midst of a dark world, of providing flavor and preserving it, but of also making it such that the light of Jesus shines in the darkness. God, would you empower us? Would you equip us even as you pray for us? And I pray lastly, God, that you give us joy, that, that, that in the midst of trying to do what you've called us to do, Lord, that you would give us Jesus' joy. And we pray that in your name. Amen.